Hey everyone, I need your attention for one minute. This is not one of those ads. This is something that has changed my entire life. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know that this is all about personal development as the foundation for everything good in your life. And this podcast is now sponsored by Growth Day, which is the world's first all-in-one personal development app. I mean, oh my gosh, can you imagine having everything all in one place that you need to create the life that you want? Now you can. So if you've been struggling with your motivation, your mood, your productivity, or your purpose, you have to check this out. Growth Day helps you consciously change your life and achieve your potential. It has all the self-improvement tools, motivational classes, and life coaching all in one place. So many of us want to improve our lives, but the question is how? Where do we start? What do we use? How do you get unstuck? How do you make self-improvement stick? Well, research shows how. It's when you consistently journal, track your habits, set goals, learn from empowering mentors, and challenge yourself that you'll be happier, healthier, and more successful. But let me ask you something. Where do you actually do all of your personal development work? I have to tell you that over 300,000 people use Growth Day for a reason. It works. It's the world's number one software for self-improvement. Growth Day has an amazing mindset journal that I absolutely love, a habit tracker, and a goal-setting system. In fact, I bet if you went to my stories this week, you probably saw me using the journaling app and telling you to do it too, because it's the first time that journaling has ever actually stuck consistently in my life because of this app. And best of all, Growth Day has live inspirational classes every single week from the world's top motivational speakers and life coaches. These are people who have impacted my life in huge ways. These are mentors who I already knew and loved. In fact, this is something that's so huge for me, you guys. I personally teach a class in Growth Day every single month, and it is one of the most fun things that I get to do, and I'd love to see you there. These classes will truly shift your life. There's always something new that you will learn. So join me in 300,000 Achievers Growing Our Lives with actual real intention. Visit growthday.com slash Lori for a free trial. Yes, you can try this for free. So go to growthday.com slash Lori and go live your best life. You guys, that's growthday.com forward slash Lori. And I can't wait to see you there. Thanks to Gusto for supporting my Earn Your Happy podcast. Running a small business is hard work. Fortunately, Gusto makes payroll easy and Gusto offers flexible benefits, simple onboarding, and so much more. Get three months free when you run your first payroll at gusto.com slash Lori. And from there, you can start to unlearn and question those beliefs, start to create new narratives, start to create new truths for yourself. It is going to sometimes be a long journey and then take action. Welcome to the Earn Your Happy Podcast. I'm Lori Harder, founder of Light Pink, best-selling author, three-time fitness world champion, and I'm a crazy multi-passionate entrepreneur. My journey has taken me everywhere from being a broke waitress, barista, retails associate, and personal trainer with massive anxiety and no belief in myself to later becoming a multi-millionaire in love with my life. In 2007, my husband and I lost everything. We found ourselves hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt at rock bottom. We had no ideas and I had no education to fall back on. This is when I found personal development and learned everything I could about business, not by choice, but because I realized no one was coming to save me. The conversations on this podcast are going to let you know that you're not alone and that we all feel like we don't know what we're doing. We're going to give you the tools to help you face your fears, take action, start your business and grow those massive dreams that are keeping you up at night. It's time to create a life that you can't hide from and put so much on the line that your higher self is forced to come out. You're going to stop waiting for someone to approve of you and you're going to anoint yourself. 
Because I'm obsessed about building businesses that give women a platform, I want to feature you. So if you text the word podcast to 310-496-8363, you can get your questions answered on our Q&A segment along with a shout out. And if you rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, we're choosing someone every month to get coached and featured on our show. It just might be you. So let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Earn Your Happy Podcast. I have a guest who has been a former guest on here a couple times. And I will tell you, she is welcome back as much as she wants. And as long as she is writing her incredible books, I can't be happier to share them with you. I know that the feedback from her previous episodes and all of her books have been proven to push you to the next level. So today is no different. She is dealing out raw, real truth. I'm obsessed with her. My guest is Andrea Owen. She's a speaker, a life coach, an author, a hellraiser. Andrea Owen is creating a global impact in women's empowerment with her books being translated into 18 languages and available in 22 countries. She helps high-achieving women maximize unshakable confidence and master resilience. You can learn more about her all at andreaowen.com. And you guys, it's so crazy because the first time I found Andrea was actually in an airport. I didn't find her. I found one of her books and it just popped out to me, read it on the airplane, read the entire book, N10, on the airplane, DM'd her, and she reached back out to me, came on the show. And that started this four-year journey of having Andrea Owen on my show and in my life. And I know that you're going to love her as much as I do. So let's get started. Andrea, welcome back to the show. Is this your third time? I think it is. I think it I'm is. I'm honored. And I, I hope I'm the only person who's been on three times. <laughs> I, you know what? I actually have like a couple women. I think there's like a handful that I'm just like, okay, whatever you have coming up, because I just want another conversation with you. Like, come on, come on down. Come on down. <laughs> I'm, yeah. yeah so I'm you're one of those I people always have something that, to talk about with you. Yes. Well, you always have something to talk about, which you're like just one of those people who I think you are... It, like in love with life school and learning the lesson for yourself and then going right around and teaching it. And it's just like, I, I so resonate with that. Like everything that I'm going through, I literally almost have to hold back from being like, is it too soon? I learned that yesterday. Like I want to teach this already. <laughs> Should I get on <laughs> and do this? Why do you like, were you always that way growing up? Were you always like a teacher <laughs> archetype or were you tell, tell me about what that looked like for you? Like the first time you realized that you really wanted to share life lessons with people. Well, I would love to say I was a child who knew that inherently, <laughs> but I was not. So I grew up in a family where there was so much love and there was yeah. so much love and fun and music and all of those things. And we also didn't talk about the hard things. Mm. And I was born as the child who really wanted to point out that the emperor had no clothes. I don't know if you're familiar with that story, but mm. <laughs> it's like a folktale. Okay. And and everybody else was like, shh, no, we don't talk about that and, and you know, keep quiet. And it was painful to, oh. to know truths that were happening and not be able to voice them. Mm. And so I internalized all of those ways of being and those beliefs. And it, I believe that it then manifested as severe codependence. I was a love addict in my late teens and twenties and which then turned into a, a you know, an abusive relationship with alcohol and an abusive relationship mm. with my partner of 13 years. And when my life fell apart, which I think I've talked about on a previous episode here with you, that was when I had like my holy crap moment and started going to, you know, therapy so much and 12-step programs and all of these things to heal. And I started blogging about it. Mm. And I really wasn't the type to be really open with my friends. So it was kind of odd. And it was, so this was in 2007, 2008. So this was a while ago. This is like a million years ago in internet years. It and really is. <laughs> started to, yeah, people started to read it mm. and we're like, me too. And I thought, I, I wasn't expecting it. There was no strategy behind it at all. It really was just organic. And then really when I got sober in 2011, mm. 
was when I had, I felt like I had to talk about it, you know, like as a high achieving woman with a high bottom, nobody knew that I had a very dysfunctional relationship with Mm -hmm. alcohol. And it wasn't really the booze. Like the booze was just the symptom. It could have been anything. And for me at that time, it was booze. So that that's kind of the trajectory of what that looked like. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you just brought me back just to my home, where you know, very very loving family, but we had a, you know, it was more of a like a res- kind of restrictive religion where people just we didn't. It's almost like if you didn't talk about it, it just wasn't there. And it right. was almost like acting like nothing had actually happened, which made you feel even crazier as a child because you're like, should I? Like I feel something or things are going on or this doesn't feel right or whatever that is. So what were some of the hard things that you wish would have been talked about in your home that would have like completely transformed, you know, maybe the one, there's so many, right? I'm like listing mine out in my head right now. But what were some that pop into your mind right away that you're like, okay, moving forward, maybe with my children, or this is never, this is always going to be something that is talked about. This is, we're always going to shed light on this. What were some of those things? Just to kind of flip through some quickly, my, uh, we had a family friend who committed suicide. Mm. I was probably nine or 10 and it was the wife of my dad's best friend. And Mm. I remember standing in the hallway, my dad came home from work and called my mom's name and they were standing in the doorway. And he, he said, you know, that Barbara had taken her own life and he collapsed in my mother's arms. I had never seen my dad cry before. And I was terrified, ran Mm. to my room and cried nobody talked about it. I had asked my mom about it and she was just, you know, shut it down. Like we, we don't talk about it. And, uh, then a few years later, my mom's brother died suddenly her only brother. And I came home from school and she was my, both my parents were home, which was unusual. My dad said, leave mom alone. The, she was in her room with a light out. And for three days, she was just shuffling around the house in her robe and slippers, which, and looking like she was in a coma we did not talk about it. And I later found out that the doctor had prescribed her Valium, which my mom doesn't drink, doesn't do drugs Mm -hmm. or anything. And she just, her grief was so immense and I was scared. It terrified me. Nobody talked about it. And when I was 17, I, I also knew from a pretty early age that if I ever got pregnant out of wedlock, that I would be sent away to live with my aunt who lives in Canada. She's Mm. passed away now, but she was my great aunt. So she was my grandma's age. And she was a nun. She was a Mm. Catholic nun who lived in a convent. So I was told you are going to get shipped off to live with sister Noel. You will have the baby there and you'll come home and live your life. My parents grew up Catholic. So, I mean, it's just what they did back then. (laughs) And so I was terrified. So I got pregnant when I was 17 on accident. And I couldn't tell my mom because I was a senior in high school. I didn't want to get shipped off to live in Canada during my senior year. And it was just so terrifying. And I did end up having an abortion. And I, while I don't regret it now, I do think it was the best choice at the time. I would have given anything to be able to come to my mom mm. and land in her lap and say, I'm in trouble. I don't know what to do. Can you help me? Mm. And have her say, yeah, we're going to figure this out as a family. And, but, but the shame Mm -hmm. I felt at that time also of thinking I was so ashamed of myself and my behavior, thinking that my parents would not be able to stand me living in their house, let alone the country. Like they would have to ship me off to another country. (laughs) That shame lived with me for so long. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, no big deal. Just like a few, (laughs) (laughs) you know, there's just a couple. The real small ones though. Just a minor. Um, how have you, how is that relationship with your parents now? Have you obviously ended up bringing that to them? Have you talked to them about how you felt with that? And what was that conversation like? Well, my dad passed away in 2016 okay. and my dad was, my, my parents are also older. So they are actually older than boomers. They're part of the silent generation, which I think is such a funny not funny name for that generation. I actually don't think I've heard things. that before. <laughs> yeah, it's super interesting. And and so they, my dad was born a very sensitive soul, especially mm. for a man. And um, just, it, it just breaks my heart to think about how he was never able to express his feelings and he mm. cried really easily, but was ashamed about it. And, and my mom 
is so it's it's an interesting family dynamic. So I tell everyone families are complicated. <laughs> yeah. It's the, probably the three words I say the most <laughs> to my clients on the podcast. Families are complicated. You're like, look, I have the tattoo and, right here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yep. I have it on my back, but my mom, um, you know, she is trying really hard and I can see the struggle for her, like of, of what she was, how she was brought up and raised to be a certain way and how different her youngest daughter is. Mm. And also, you know, her trying to meet me where I'm at. And I will say that's been incredible. And she Mm. has apologized to me for certain things that have been such an amazing moment for Mm. us. And I'm incredibly grateful that she's done that, that she's looked me in the face and given me a genuine apology and taken responsibility for some of her behavior. And um, so, yeah, it's it's not perfect, but it's definitely work in progress. And I'm, I'm lucky, I think that, mm. and like, trust me when I tell you, Lori, like I would so much rather have a hard conversation with like one of my kids' teachers or my neighbor yes. or even my husband. Like, but when it comes to my mom, oh, mm-hmm. how long can I procrastinate? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh my God, you're you're taking me back to this. The only the only reason I opened that door of a hard conversation with my mother is because I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And I I had signed up for a landmark forum and they're like, okay, write down all of the things like, or write down like the main thing that's kind of like stopping you, like the the tough conversation that you need to have. So I was like, ah, I'll probably just have to share with my neighbor. That's cool. I don't know this person. And so I write down in detail, like the conversation that I need to have with my mother. And they're like, okay, you're going on break. You can't come back in the room until you've called this person and had this conversation. I was like, Vic bait and switch. Like this was, so I ended up like opening that door on that break. And it was the, it was probably the worst thing I've ever experienced and it opened the door. So I want to know for you, Mm -hmm. like, what was that moment? Because so many people are listening to this and they're like, I mean, I would, there, some people would rather like jump out of a plane without a parachute on than like open that door and, and talk about the let out all of the emotion and the skeletons and the shame and the like, blame and the pain that comes with that initial conversation that is a tidal wave at first, right? It's just like a tidal wave of emotion. So what did that look like for you? How did you do that? Okay. My stomach hurts. Just you telling that story. Like (laughs) I might have to break for diarrhea because that is, first of all, did they give you the skills to be able to have the conversation or they just were like, they have done like a bunch of work before that, but I did not know it was leading into that. I mean, I can honestly say it was one of the best things I've ever done, but I was not. Yeah. It was, it wasn't like, I, I felt the way you, you felt times, you know, cause it was real intense. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think that it comes down to the first question is, what are you looking for? Like, yeah. what are you wanting to get out of the conversation? Yes. And just be honest. Like, nothing's wrong. There are no wrong answers. Like, do you want forgiveness? Do you want you know them to apologize? Do you want them to... Whatever it is. It, it can be anything you want. Not saying you're going to get it. Right. But I think it's, it's good to get clear on what your heart intention is. And then always know that you have no control over what the outcome is going to be they could shut it down. The other person can tell you that you're wrong. They could get defensive. They could get mean. Mm -hmm. Really depends on the person. Before before people even venture into that conversation, I always ask them like, how invested are you in this relationship? Mm. Because that's That's important. And typically we're invested in our immediate family. So yeah, you you only can control how you show up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my friend, Amy Smith, she has taught me everything I know about hard conversations. And she always says, you know, come at these conversations from a place of grace and kindness. Mm. That is all you have control over. And I would never ask anyone to walk into one of those doors without being prepared, Mm -hmm. be completely prepared. This is, I would say like 20% of the work I do with clients is planning out these conversations that they're going to have with a parent or adult child or a partner, someone on their team. That is so powerful. And, and you know, as you say that, I remember we had set like an intention of, you know, what we wanted and mine was just, I just wanted peace. Like I just, uh, that was like the only thing. And um, so I remember thinking I may not get peace on her side, but it will be peace for me to come. I had to decide what peace meant to me. And it was, um, it will be peace that I won't have to live with this lie anymore. Like that I can start, you know, 
telling who I actually am and how I actually feel without worrying about somebody, you know, just acting like someone else that I'm not around, especially around a parent. You know, you don't want to be, you don't want to go home if you can't be yourself. (laughs) That is like PhD level work. Like I just want to acknowledge how difficult that is because when it's our family, there is a biological need to belong. It's not just you know, like on a practical level, like, no, 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 This is deep in our DNA. And it goes back, the science around this, the anthropology is so fascinating to me because it goes back to many, 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 many years ago mm. when to be excluded from our community, our family, our tribe, if you will, meant death, yes. literal death. Because we couldn't survive without our our village and without our family. And that still lives inside of our subconscious. Mm. So um, there's a really interesting term called tribal shame. Mm. And that is when families say things, like anytime a person, like say for instance, your family of origin um, doesn't have a whole lot of education Mm -hmm. and maybe they live in poverty. And so like a person who, does go to college and maybe they get a great job. If the family says things like, oh, look at Miss Educated over here. And they're kind of joking. It might be like that. Oh, you think you're too big for your britches and oh, look at your nice car and your nice clothes. And that type of language, it's called tribal shame. And, and we typically don't want any members of our group or our family to leave and we shame them. I mean, this is excommunication from churches, Mm. et cetera. So it's a real thing for people to self-sabotage so they can still feel like they belong. And, and all that to say, it is intense work. And I commend anybody who attempts to do it, no matter the outcome. I mean, you just, yeah. You, I, think, I think we all on some level, um, I think we all on some level are, are still dealing with that. I mean, you name, just think, I, I just want everyone right now to think about going home for the holidays. <laughs> And we all like have to prepare. We all have to mentally, we're in, we're in summer right now. So we're, we're still okay, but come November, we're starting to prepare. So yes, family is complicated. Um, Okay. So you talk a lot about like you have, um, you know, I know that we've, we've kind of been in the like personal development space for a little while. You've written amazing books and you're just at this place of like, it, it sounds like just freedom for yourself where you've come to recognize that you really want to get to the root of problems. What, like, mm-hmm. what was the moment when you're like, oh my God, we're not actually talking about the roots and how do we, how do we heal that? Yeah. Well, that started probably around 2011, I used to talk about the inner critic all the time Mm -hmm. in the beginning of my my practice. And then I realized these patterns that were kept coming up for women. And that's when I realized that a lot of our negative self-talk is stemmed from shame Mm -hmm. and our fear of shame. And so that's when in 2014, I went and got certified in um, Brene Brown's work, Mm -hmm. her methodology, and it was enormously helpful. And then a few years goes by it was 2016. It was 2017. It was the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. It was the Kavanaugh hearings. It was, you know, civil unrest and and you know this. What is? What are we on now? Like the fourth wave of feminism. I'm I'm losing count now. And and I thought to myself for a while. I feel like there's bigger things at play that not that many people are talking about. In mm-hmm. other words, I felt like the culture that raised us who, who, you know, like sexism and, you know, even as a parent of both a boy and a girl, just this morning, I was talking to my husband about, we need to look at the kids' chores. And cause I never had chores growing up and I grew up with the worst work ethic. (laughs) Side note, I'm the youngest of five. They were like, good luck with life. Um, (laughs) Figure it out. Watch your sister, watch your brothers and sisters. (laughs) Figure it out. Yeah. They're fine. (laughs) <laughs> so I, we want to instill, you know, just a work ethic with our children. And so my husband said, okay, I'm going to buy a push mower and teach Colton who's 13 to, to at least mow the backyard. And then I'm like, okay, well, I, I can have Sydney vacuum in, in between when the, the housekeeper's here. And then I thought about it and I'm like, okay, we also need to reverse this because this is very sexist to have mm-hmm. her do the vacuuming and him do the, but it was sort of a no brainer to both my husband and I you know, and, and right. he and I both grew up, we're Gen Xers and we grew up with 
pretty traditional gender roles, even though we both had both parents that worked. And it's still, it's just these things that that we grow up seeing. And for women and girls, Mm. you know, women and girls are the virtues of powerful, assertive, Mm. direct, bossy. These are not positive virtues that women and girls are encouraged to be like. And then when you are that way, which I have been that way, we are in some ways punished for it. It's definitely frowned upon. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I just, I knew that this is, I just couldn't talk about women's empowerment anymore without talking about the culture that raised us. Because many times the reason we struggle with perfectionism and people pleasing and overachieving is because of the patriarchy. And Mm -hmm. and I also want to say, before anybody turns this off, the patriarchy hurts men terribly terribly. And it's, it's everybody. And I want to just start having that conversation. Mm. So for you, what, what did you observe in your life that you're like, wow, this is a direct result of, you know, how I was raised, like something that you had to work really hard to break and that you still do. Uh, another long list of things, (laughs) you know, um, I'm thinking back like in high school and how, we behaved towards each other. Mm. Um, the slut shaming that went on and women, you know, pitting against each other. Like there was, there was this like high school prank that we did. And there was this, Mm. one of the football players was really, really blonde. And we went and it was like, I don't remember like what we were doing, but we, we got shoe polish and we wrote on his car. Do you have blonde pubes? And (laughs) and his girlfriend (laughs) came and threatened me Mm. at school. And it just, and it was just this animosity and, you know, girls hating each other. And, and I had to really take a look at my own internalized misogyny and like, where do I dehumanize uh, strippers and adult film actresses. Mm. Where do I slut shame? Where do I judge other women for wearing certain things or being at a certain level of success, or even just for their their fierce ambition? Mm. Where have I just judged and made quick assumptions about other women that I probably wouldn't make those assumptions if she were a man, if it was a man doing the same thing. I've had a couple bosses in my life who were women who were powerful and I greatly disliked them. Hmm. Again, I would highly doubt that I would have felt the same way about them if they were a man. Hmm. And it's just been really interesting to look back on my life and think about these instances and not from a place of shaming myself or or saying I was, I was wrong. It just, I was just doing what I was raised to do and what I saw from, from other women and on the media and movies. Oh my gosh, movies, mm. <laughs> especially eighties movies. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I was the, just going to say that really the difficult work. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking that. Cause I'm like, I, I feel like Thankfully, my uh, my parents were pretty good about like my dad literally treated me like a boy. I remember saying that sentence to him all the time. I'm like, I'm not a boy. And now I'm so grateful like that he was like, you can build cabinets. You can, you know, help me put this toilet back together. And it's just like, I remember though uh-huh. being like, you're putting me in the wrong role because I was so convinced. <laughs> um, so <laughs> and now I'm grateful. It's um, good to have both. It, it's so, I am, it's probably the thing I am most grateful for now is that he just mm-hmm. did not act like I, he just didn't care what I was. He was like, well, this is what we're doing today. You weren't fragile. No, it mm-hmm. was fantastic. So now I, I feel like I'm equipped for a lot more than I would have been without that. But um, what do you think for, the girls today, what are you, what do you think their patterns that they will have to interrupt and break, uh, will be that they are seeing, whether it's from parents. And I know that God, we could go on and on about social media, but what do you think we, let's just start there. What do you think maybe our generation is handing down to this next generation that they will have to break the cycle? Gosh, that's a, that's a great question. And off the top of my head, I can only think about things that they're doing differently and better than, than we did. I mean, like, let's just talk about consent for Mm. a second. Like I didn't even know what that word was in high school. And I, I tell the story in, in the book about 
a couple of instances where that was not happening for me and like, you know, and, and, and kind of how that, that ended up shaping me and even just sex in general. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. So you grew up in a, in a religious mm-hmm. world and, you know, purity culture, <laughs> purity culture was a thing, yes, especially in sure. the nineties. Mm-hmm. I was already kind of, kind of out of the church at that point, but I grew up in the eighties where you did not have sex before marriage and you definitely did not get pregnant and have abortions Mm -hmm. and, and just the judgment and harsh criticism we had. And so I, and also just like things like body autonomy for, Mm -hmm. for, for girls, my daughter, I just, I didn't even take a mirror down to look at my vulva and the surrounding area until I was in my Mm twenties, my twenties. I did yeah. not know what it looked like down there. <laughs> and when my daughter was five, uh, she there was something that we were doing and I won't get into the details, but I handed her a mirror and was like, here, you do it on yourself because I want you to get to know your body. Mm-hmm. And I told my husband about it later and, and he was like kind of uncomfortable by it. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I need her to understand her, not only what her own body looks like, but how it functions. And that is, it is hers. Mm. She is free to do with it as she pleases because I did not get that message. Mm -hmm. I felt like my body was for the pleasure of men. Mm -hmm. And I don't want that for my daughter. I absolutely want her to learn something else. So Mm -hmm. I'm hopeful for Generation Z and millennials as well, but especially Gen Z and Gen Alpha, I think that's the generation after them that they are breaking that cycle. Mm. So good. What are you seeing? Um, maybe that's coming up in your own kids that you're kind of like, wow, that was unexpected. And I guess we're talking about this, or I guess we're going to do this now or whatever that is. <laughs> They're so interesting about mental health. Like ah, interesting. How I old are they again? Like 13 and 11. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. I don't know if this is because I'm 46 or if it's because it's true, but I feel like the pendulum has kind of swung so far the other way Mm. where there is, you know, people can get a little bit too obsessed with, it's called over-identification. It's a, it's a psychology term where people get so caught up in labeling everything Mm. they do. Like, is this perfectionism? Is this people pleasing? You know, do I have anxiety? Do I have this? Do I have that? And I think it can prevent people from trying to find Mm -hmm. solutions to whatever it is, no matter what the name of it it is. But I'm happy that they're talking about mental health. So happy because that wasn't the the case, you Mm -hmm. know, when you and I were young. Um, But at the same time, I think it can go a little bit too far. And uh, yeah, and, and as a parent, I don't know when to tell them like, no, you're just nervous <laughs> or, mm-hmm. or totally coddle and validate their feelings of anxiety. It's a, it's a slippery slope. Let's take a quick break to talk about Gusto. As an entrepreneur, we have so much on our plates. I know I do. I know that you do. We're working towards launching our dreams and we can't do it without our teams. They help make our dreams happen. So we can give back to them by offering great benefits and healthcare options. And we can do this with Gusto. Now you can shop, offer, and manage employee benefits plus payroll and HR with Gusto. I've teamed up with Gusto and they're offering you three months free when you run your first payroll at gusto.com forward slash Lori. From small group healthcare to 401k to workers' compensation and more, Gusto helps me offer a competitive and accessible plan that keeps our teams happy and healthy. It's a win-win for all. There are hundreds of plans to choose from to fit nearly any budget. Plus, all the messy paperwork is stored online for a quick reference and to keep everyone organized, which can sometimes be a challenge if you're a creative entrepreneur like myself. Gusto also offers easy-to-run payroll and expert HR support. On average, it takes 11 minutes to run your payroll with Gusto, and you can keep track of all your W-2s, 1099s, and other employee documentation through the platform. Gusto also automatically files and pays state, local, and federal payroll taxes, and I'm sold on that statement alone. To help you offer competitive and accessible benefits to your employees, we are giving you three months free when you run your first payroll at gusto.com forward slash Lori. Go ahead and give it a try. Gusto.com forward slash Lori. 
Now let's get back to the episode. Yeah, it's so interesting. I was just in a hair salon overhearing the girls next to me and they couldn't have been a day over like 22. And I was just like, I can't believe I'm going to say this out loud. I was like, what are the kids talking about? (laughs) What just happened? Um, So they were talking about like, mental health, but they were also like kind of making, making jokes. Like they're like, well, we all have X, Y, and Z and we all have this and we all have that. And I was like, I would have never, you know, kind of like describing themselves and diagnosing themselves with all of these different things. And I was like, I would have never, I mean, this language wasn't even being thrown around, let alone like in a salon amongst a ton of people, like just completely open and kind of like, it, it it was just, it was so interesting to me. So yes, it's definitely out there. It's definitely something that I can see can be a useful tool, but also like we're now like diagnosing each other with what we, what we think we have, I guess. So well, that was like kind of opening. Yeah. And as a parent, like mm-hmm. it's hard enough to try to navigate the fact that these kids will not know a world without the internet or without social media. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my parents didn't, didn't have to deal with that. So we have to navigate that and all this mental health stuff. And, you know, my kids have, or my son, he's in middle school and there's, um, and there's a trans person at his school. And I'm just like, I think it's amazing that it's just not a big deal Mm -hmm. anymore when that was unheard of. It was a big deal that there was one boy in my high school who came out as gay Mm -hmm. and that made the news. Like it was huge. And it's so different now in so many good ways. But as a parent trying to navigate that, I'm still kind of doing this awkward dance where I feel like I'm stepping on the toes of my children. Mm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know who's leading. I need help. Does your Mm -hmm. son, did your son say anything? Like, does he, is it, is it talked about in school or is it like pretty widely accepted? He goes to a private school. And so there's like, you know, six to eight kids in his class Mm -hmm. and it's for kids with learning differences. So I don't think a whole lot of things surprise them. Like they're they're used to differences. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it would be the case at a public school, Mm -hmm. but, um, I'm just, I'm glad that there's, there's places where these kids can be accepted. And I know Mm -hmm. it's not like that in all parts of the country. We're in the South and I think it depends on where you live, but I'm just glad things are changing. Mm-hmm. What, when you, when you, cause you, you're still working with women, right? Are you still doing, yeah. you're still doing coaching. Okay. So when you are uh, right now working with women, what are you working on and what are you seeing? I feel like there, there goes through like phases of what we're kind of working through, like for the time period in the world, what are you seeing is kind of the, the block or the struggle, um, around what they want to do? It's honestly, it still is like, I'm thinking of a client I'm working with right now. And it's still, especially if they're, I tend to work with, well, I work with women of all ages, but, but it seems to be a trend. I've been working with women in their late thirties and forties and it's still body stuff Mm. still. And it is also still, um, trying to do everything Mm and take care of everyone else before themselves. And they also have a really hard time setting boundaries. So Mm. those are the, those are kind of the main things that, that we're talking about in our sessions. Are you finding, especially, I I love the topic of boundaries. Are you, are you finding that it's the same thing that we were just talking about? Kind of the um, tribal shame that you had mentioned, like they're afraid to set boundaries because they're going to be perceived as rude or not loved or not accepted anymore? Like what is the main, are you seeing like a main boundary they need to set? Is it typically with like close family? It's all different things. You know, I have some people who it's a, it's a work thing, whether it's like a manager or a coworker. Um, Many times it's, it's their partner. And I mean, and it can be in, in various kinds of marriages, you know, the marriages that aren't, really strong. Mm. And maybe the, the wife has never spoken up really before. And I've also had uh, a client who her husband is incredibly supportive and would be open to any conversation and is also open to feedback about how he's being a partner. And she's still scared of setting the boundary. And that's, I believe where it comes down to this unconscious fear that we have of being rejected. And that is that it's, not only our job to take care of everyone else's feelings, but it's what makes us a quote unquote good woman. Mm. And in this woman's case, a good wife, Mm. like she does not, she just takes it. 
She just takes whatever she can get. And if she's not happy, then that's just kind of the price you pay for, for being a wife or a stay-at-home mom or what have you. Mm-hmm. So the, the reasons vary, but um, some of it comes down to her self-worth. Like she, do, she doesn't think that her needs and wants matter as much as her partner or her boss or her kids or whomever. Mm. Okay. So you have, so your new book, which is so exciting. I said, it's just, I feel like you're a book machine, but you are, you're, you're an author, you're a writer. Like you, it's, you have that teacher archetype. You like to turn around and teach people. I love that. Um, make some noise, speak your mind and own your strength. What, like, what was the message that was coming through for you? And and here's the thing is like, I, so I understand the book journey. I only did it once, but I feel something bubbling up again. Like it's almost like a full shift has to, it like comes in your life and you're like, oh, now there's all of these lessons that I hadn't like talked about. So what, like, what was the bubbling up that was happening around this book that you're like, this is what has to come out. This is what's in the book. Well, I mean, the last few years have been tough and if, you know, for so many people, and like I said, I'm obsessed with the root of the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw things happening socially, culturally, politically, and really was trying to figure out, first of all, like what's my lane, you know, mm-hmm. what am I equipped to talk about? Uh, what do I need to research more? What do I need to go to therapy for before I can talk about this? Like, don't teach from your wounded place. Right. And honestly, Lori, it was the Me Too movement. I think that sort of like pushed me over the edge. As I know, for many women, I was re-traumatized mm. with just seeing so many women's stories and seeing celebrities fall down and and women speaking out about sexual harassment, sexual abuse, sexual assault. And after the Kavanaugh hearings, I was shook. Isn't that what Mm. the kids still say? (laughs) I I was, um, I had a moment and, Mm. and it was really rough. And I thought about my own experiences and the endless street harassment that started when I was about 13. Um, I had been sexually harassed at every job I've ever worked out, except for the jobs where I only worked with women. Mm. I'd been sexually assaulted. And I know that, that you have an experience with that as well. And I just, I'm an Enneagram eight and Enneagram eights, when we are in fear or feel our life is uncertain and out of control, we immediately get angry. I'm also an Aries. So I have like that double whammy. <laughs> and I was angry. I was mm-hmm. so angry. Mm-hmm. And after I sort of calmed down a little bit, I'm, I'm friends with anger. Like it doesn't bother me, which I know is a struggle for a lot of women. Like I don't just get angry. I get, I get ragey. And <laughs> I knew that that was it. Like I had to talk about this, but I didn't know what it was. Like, what am I just going to like write a book about how pissed I am? Like right. <laughs> that's right. not helpful. <laughs> so I, I, and it all came to me in 2019. I had a download. I was in Savannah, Georgia. And I had a download of this is the book. The original title was Raise Hell. And it's a song, um, by the band Dorothy that I love. And, and I just felt like I couldn't talk about women's empowerment again without naming this elephant in the room. And Mm. it's the culture that raised us. I mean, whether or not you grew up in purity culture, whether or not you grew up with a a progressive family, like we all drank the same Mm Kool-Aid because it was the only beverage that was offered. That was it. Like, this is how things go around here in the United States and, and in other countries. And I was sick of it. I was sick of my clients coming to me and holding themselves back and not raising their rates in their business Mm -hmm. and not asking for a raise at work and not having the conversation with their partner because they were afraid of how they might be viewed, Mm -hmm. afraid of, of pushback, afraid of the no. And it just, I get so fired up Mm -hmm. around women's empowerment. And at the same time, I couldn't just tell people to like flip tables and like flip off their boss and like, that's going to solve everything. Like, so how do we simultaneously, you know, kind of like, I don't know if save face is the expression I'm looking for, but like, how do we live in this culture and be accepted in society while at the same time 
pushing back on it. Mm -hmm. And that's what this book is. It's not a feminist theory book. It's not heavy handed at all. Like I still have a sense of humor. Like I still, Mm -hmm. it's still, you know, my, my, my voice, but it definitely was birthed from a place of anger. I will say that. Mm. Yeah. I mean, typically that's where really great books sometimes are. Are created. Thank you. <laughs> okay, I love that. Um, you know, that makes me think about uh, just really getting to the root of like what actually holds people back, and it is so much fear and so much shame and so much like breaking out of the way that we were meant to think, and especially from our or or cre- not cre- meant, sorry, that we were raised to think, and just the fear around not being accepted, and it makes me think about. Um, you had mentioned visibility. And I know for me, even when I had thought about, so Andrea, like when we, we first got our ideas of like what we wanted to do and, oh my gosh, we want to write a book or have a podcast or be a speaker. Cause we want to share from our heart and we want to inspire and all the things. Then immediately what happened in the beginning for me was like, my brain shut that down. Like, don't be visible because then you're going to make your mom upset. You're going mm-hmm. to this person over here who knows this, you know, secret story that you've been hiding forever might come forward and say something and that's going to just ruin your life. And like all of these things that we were taught to like shove in the closet and never talk about that creates this almost like sense of you can't speak. You can't be visible because you're going to either offend or you're going to look bad or people find out that you're not perfect or, you know, kind of like you were telling about your abortion story. Like people might find out what if, what if I'm in this space and people find this horrible thing out I've been hiding. So Mm -hmm. can you share a little bit around, uh, when you talk about visibility, like how do we free ourselves from the shackles of like continuing to want to hide? Well, I just want to acknowledge that all those fears that you mentioned are very real. Like I'm never going to tell people that I I actually don't like the common self-help trope around, you know, that all fear is false Mm -hmm. and it's not real. It's like, talk to somebody who's had like real complex trauma. Mm -hmm. Talk to somebody who has PTSD. Like, no, you you can F right off with that. (laughs) No. And it's, it's, it's very real for people. Like I just, I hired a new therapist at the beginning of COVID and, and had to do a deep dive with some things. And, Mm -hmm. and again, there we were with my family of origin stuff. And, you know, like I have a, I have a central theme of feeling responsible for everyone's feelings. Mm. And that started with my dad, you know, he was such a sensitive person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You too. Okay. (laughs) All in the same club and old habits die hard sometimes, Mm -hmm. not every time, but a lot of times old habits die hard. And once we go through therapy around something or even write a book about it, that doesn't mean that we're always completely healed. It can come up in other spaces of our lives, especially when we up level. Mm. Every time I have up leveled, I feel like I'm right back in the same place, talking to a therapist Mm -hmm. about the same stuff I was talking about two or three years ago. Totally. And it just, it manifests differently. Mm. So I just wanted to preface that. Then to answer your question, it's, it's really around, I, I love to take action, but when it comes to something like this, I really want people to think critically about their beliefs. So I asked two, over 250 questions in this book because, wow. because I'm a coach. <laughs> There's a free workbook, <laughs> by the way, we can talk about that later, but I, I want to really break down and, and have the reader think about what is your, my friend Elizabeth D'Alto says this so beautifully. And she says, what is your conditioning Mm. versus what is your truth? Mm -hmm. And that, that powerful question stopped me in my tracks. And I, I talk about that in the book. And that's a lot of the questions that I ask, like, Mm. what was modeled for you growing up around X topic? How did your parents talk about that? And none of your answers are wrong. This is just about you figuring out how you've been conditioned, how you've essentially been trained Mm. to think about something, to believe something, to believe something about yourself or for women in general. And it can be extremely powerful to uncover that. Hurtful sometimes because you're like, oh, damn, like, (laughs) this is what I think to be true about whatever. And from there, you can start to unlearn and question those beliefs, start to create new narratives, start to create new truths for yourself. It is going to sometimes be a long journey and then take action. You have to do that first part first or else you're just going to keep going back over and over again to the same spot that you started. 
Oh my gosh. That, that is such a good question. The one that you had, what is um, your conditioning versus your truth? Is there one that mm-hmm. you are kind of like sitting with right now for yourself with what is your conditioning versus your truth that you're trying yeah, to like, and, switch? You know, I tell this story in the book when I was uh, in like fourth or fifth grade, there was this girl that lived down the street and she was my friend. And I was, I remember I was sitting on the curb and she was on her bike and she was riding around in a slow circle and we were just talking. And then we started talking about this other girl that, that lived on our street that was in our grade. And she says, she thinks she's so hot. Mm. And I remember kind of not understanding like what it was that this other girl did that made our friend think she was so hot, but also more than anything, realizing in that moment that you do not want to act like you're so hot, that you do not want to stand out because not only is that going to be not what a girl does, but also makes other girls talk about you Mm. behind your back. Mm. And then I grow up and I have this personality where many people think I'm so hot. And you know what? I do think I'm so hot. Like, <laughs> kind of amazing. Yes. And it's, it's, it's not embraced. Mm. And like, I want necklaces made. Like if you have a hookup for a jeweler, like I want the gold nameplate necklace that says conceited. I want one that says conceited. <laughs> and I want one that says aggressive because I, and I actually have a framed photo of this art that I bought that says aggressive on it. And it has green eyes. And I gasped when I saw it. And I'm like, I need that for my office because I've been called aggressive and it was never a compliment. Mm. And to have any quote unquote masculine tendencies for women, it's not okay. And I'm not saying that to be empowered, we need to act like men. I don't mm. think that that's true. I think you can your empowerment can look like whatever you want it to look like. I know that you're talking about your, your new business and being mm. male dominated and I just, I think that I even forgot what your question was because I'm so, <laughs> you're so in it. I love it. My Actually, I, I think that you, an- I think that you answered it. Well, now I'm just thinking about who I can get to make a nameplate with conceited and aggressive. That's <laughs> where my brain went, on it. So. <laughs> I just want to take back these, these attributes, yeah. you know, and just, and take down the connotation to them. And, and like, it's okay for a man to be aggressive and powerful and assertive and, but it's not okay for a woman. Or if she is, I mean, look at how, how they're portrayed in movies. Like mm-hmm. look at Meryl Streep's character in The Devil Wears Prada. Like, mm-hmm. you know, she's ambitious, but she her family life is falling apart. And yeah, it makes for a good story, but like, these are the movies that are raising our daughters. And mm-hmm. the only wealthy woman that I ever saw growing up when I was really little was Cruella DeVille. <laughs> and, and people are like, oh, it's just a Disney movie. And I'm like, really? Because there was no other rich women who had gotten there th- mm. themselves, who were self-made except her. And she was awful. She was an mm. awful human being. So what do you think I grow up thinking it means to be rich and wealthy on your own? Mm. Like these stories matter. And I want not only the media to change, which I do think it's shifting, but also in our real lives. Like I, I specifically looked for a female financial advisor because I want my daughter to see women in finance and banking. Mm. And I want, to, I want her mom, I want my daughter to see her mother talk about money and investing. And like, I didn't see any of that. Like mm. my mom, other women, my friends, nobody it was always up to the man. And I want to change that. So mm. anyway, I think the question was something around just the, you know, the way people are and what do I want to conditioning versus truth? Yes. That's what the question yes. was. <laughs> so thank you so much when people My ask truth, me, like, I don't know, I'm yeah. in it right now with you. I don't remember. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm in the washing machine with you. Anyway, my truth is, is how I am, you know, as a person. And I'm not mm. saying that's for everyone. I'm not saying everyone has to be the way that I am, but it just pains me, Lori, when mm. women think that they're wrong for who they are, whether they're introverted and more on the quiet side and just, you know, are thinkers and observers, or if they're more like me and talkative and extroverted. That's what breaks my heart at the end of the day, that women think they're wrong for being who they are. And that then that poses the question, like, what is your conditioning versus what is your truth? Mm. 
I have, I have definitely am just like thinking in my head, like it minus, minus what you had mentioned before, like the conditioning of feeling that I have to be warm and fuzzy all of the time, like 24 seven and responsible for people's emotions around me. And, and it's interesting, Andrea, because those things do, they usually do get confirmed. Like we're not crazy. It is because someone in my family has literally told me I wasn't warm and fuzzy while I was on office hours, like running in between, like, you know, to my office, to and from, to grab something from the fridge or whatever. And, and it literally like unconsciously makes me just be like, okay, I'm already exhausted, but you have to like go out. If someone's in your house, like go out there and make sure that they're super comfortable and that you, do you know what I mean? And it's like, cause we work in different times now. And I think that you can understand this, like your home is now your office. And when you leave, sometimes you almost need to like close that energy off so that you can go to the bathroom, get a meal, whatever. And and I observe the pattern, like the pattern and the fear around, they're not going to think they're going to be, they're going to think I'm mad at them or they're not, you know, going to be whatever happy if I don't X, Y, and Z and put on this like performative show. And I know that sounds crazy, but that's literally the pattern that I'm breaking mm-hmm. over like the flip of so many people, you know, being at home. Well, cause you're going to be labeled a diva and it, there's yeah. a, there's a story and I, I might not be getting it right. So don't, don't quote me on this. We need to do a fact check, but I think it was Tina Turner mm-hmm. who was villainized in the media and labeled a diva because, and I'm sure you've heard those rules where there'll be celebrities who wear sunglasses and then ask people not to talk to them. Mm-hmm. And I get it. Mm-hmm. I totally get it. And even just as a mom, like if you're listening and you're a mom, don't tell me that you haven't had days where you're like, if one more person asks me a question or asks me to get something for them, or even just talks to me or looks at me, I might lose my (laughs) shit. And it's the same, I think with people, for women who have these powerful positions, whether you're a Tina Turner or whether you're, you know, you Lori Harder, you only have so much bandwidth. Mm. You're a human being. And if you're on all day, whether you're speaking up on stage at your, um, your events or you're doing podcast interviews, that takes a tremendous amount of mental and emotional energy. And I can, I can relate. Like there are days where I'm like, I just need to put the sunglasses on. I don't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> can we just order in food? We and, literally really need nice to it. have, we need to create just like really massive sunglasses that just have a little message on them. Just like, I love you, but no. <laughs> I want mine to have one list that says conceited and the other one says aggressive. (laughs) (laughs) And be quiet. (laughs) Don't talk to me. Yeah. And I, yeah, I just thank you for just sharing that as well. And it's just, it's really empowering just to even think about it's, it's okay. And it is just something in my head that has to be repeated. Like, this is okay. Like it, it, I don't know. What do I say after that though? In my head, this is okay. It's okay if they don't like me and they're your family. (laughs) Well, I mean, it depends. Like, are you talking about like specifically your family? Yes. <laughs> I am not opposed to giving people a heads up mm. oh, and telling good. them. Uh-huh. Yeah, I just had a conversation with one of my colleagues and we had it on my podcast about how differently we email like as mm. women versus men and how many exclamation marks we put in there. And, oh my gosh, yes. and it's, it's fine if that's how you naturally speak to mm-hmm. someone, but are you doing it because you're wanting to seem a certain way, you know, being extra nice, lots of salutations. I started noticing it because my husband corresponds with the teachers and he copies me on everything. And I'm like, he's so short and like Mm. to the point, it's so interesting to me. Like, I want to be more like that, but I, I gave my, my team a heads up and I'm like, Hey, I'm going to start doing less thank yous. Like I don't need two thank yous in every single email. Like you guys know, I'm grateful for you. Right. Like I'll buy you presents and (laughs) like, just give them a heads up. Mm. Hey, there's going to be some changes around here. And it doesn't mean I love you any less. It does not mean I am mad at you. If I'm mad at you, I will tell you, Mm. I will, I assure you, but you might feel that I'm a little bit blah, blah, blah. And it's because I am trying to change my behavior and here's what it looks like. I always like to just say what's there. Yep. I love that. I think um, with all of the travel and us staying at different homes and all all of the different things um, that have come up the last year, it's like you keep, you still keep office hours even when you're staying with people. So I think that would be such a powerful thing to just be like, Hey, just got to tell you when I walk around the house with my, you know, blinders on or whatever that looks like. Um, that's so good. Thank you so much for that. Okay. So where can we get your book? Where can we like, I know that you're still coaching people. You have so many awesome things Mm -hmm. going on. So where can we get your book? Who is it? Who do you think it's for all the things? I think the ideal reader for this book is any woman between honestly like 
even around 18, she would love it all the way until 118. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But just women who love personal development and living their best life and and also who aren't afraid to get their hands dirty. Like I don't mince words and I don't pull any punches. And there's also... Like I said, I, I really want people to actually do the work instead of just listening to it on audiobook, mm-hmm. like in the background or think like, that sounds nice. I mean, hey, if that's where you're at, by all means, like do that. But for those people who really want to take action, there's a free workbook and it's 40 plus pages and it's really beautiful. It matches the book because that matters. Mm-hmm. And all of that stuff is at andreaowen.com slash noise. And we're giving a book away. Mm-hmm. Did I jump the gun? No, you can totally tell them, you guys. Go check out Instagram and see if our post is up. I'm sure it's up by this time. Otherwise, keep your eye out because we're going to be telling you how you can get a free book. Andrea, yes, so, we're gonna, so go ahead. We're going to send one of your listeners a book and I, I can't wait. Amazing. I'm so grateful for you. Um, I always learn. I always love our conversation. I literally was just like in the vortex with you. So thank you so much for this awesome hour. Um, You guys, one of the biggest gifts that you can give Andrea is to tag her on Instagram when you upload this and let her know what your biggest takeaway was from her so that she can actually know the impact that she made on you. So Andrea, what is the Instagram that you would like them to tag? My Instagram handle changed a few months ago and I'm at Hey Andrea Owen now. I'm also on TikTok. So at Hey Andrea Owen, you can tag her and let her know what your biggest takeaway was from this podcast. And it's always fun to be able to see who actually listened to us with this conversation. And I love turning people on. Yes. Amazing. Okay. So until next time, everyone, earn your happy. Bye-bye. Hey, I know if you're listening to this podcast that you have big dreams and big goals. And one of the things that can really stop you is struggling with your marketing. Trust me, I have been there. Are you using 10 different systems just to build your online business? Then I want you to try Kajabi. Kajabi helps you build your web pages, set up funnels, and sell your courses, content, coaching, or communities. You've been hearing me talk a lot about funnels on this podcast and the importance of your email list. You can get a free trial at kajabi.com. That's K-A-J-A-B-I.com. I've talked about Kajabi before, but here's something that's super cool and new. They just rolled out an AI assistant for creating your online course curriculum. And this means you just type in a topic that you want to create on a course or webinar and bam, it just generates a sample outline for you. It takes a ton of the hard work away. Of course, you're going to customize it to be your own, but this really helps you get over the struggle of how in the world to start which is where most people stop. If you're like me, starting is always the hardest part and that's what makes Kajabi so popular. They've made it easier for creators to build web pages, build courses, build coaching programs, build membership sites, build checkout pages, and build email funnels. So if you're struggling with any of those, you gotta go check it out. Go to kajabi.com. Kajabi was really the first all-in-one system and is trusted by over 100,000 creators. I think that's good enough for me. Also as influencers and marketers who use this. And now their smart AI platform makes it easy to take what you know and turn it into an online course and business. Go start building with a free trial at kajabi.com. That's K-A-J-A-B-I.com. Hey, do you know what the big secret is this year? And it shouldn't be a secret because this should be your biggest focus. It is building your community. I am always working on building and nurturing my community. And everyone is talking about the power of community. Without an online community, you just cannot grow organically or create a real movement, which is what I know that we're all after. And you can build trust or monetize your audience. When you get community right, Not only does your audience grow faster, but so do your sales. But where's everybody going to be managing their communities these days? And a lot of online entrepreneurs and thought leaders are turning to circle.so. 
Circle is an all-in-one community platform. It lets you host content and create discussions, live streams, group chats, and memberships all under your own brand. And what's so cool about Circle.so is that you don't even need a website or Facebook group. Instead, Circle lets you build your own community site where you can host content and manage your members. You can even create locked and unlocked content spaces, groups, and classes. How freaking cool is that? You can put your content behind a paywall too, and you can charge different amounts of money for different spaces on your community site. Circle.so is famously easy to use, and it has a free 14-day trial for you, so you can go check it out, see if you like it, see if you love all the options. Just go to circle.so. Go check it out right now, you guys. Imagine being able to manage your community, start group chats and live classes, and accept payments all in one place. Kind of mind-blowing since this is usually spread all over the place. You have to log into so many different things. If this is the year to capture, organize, and monetize your community, head over to circle.so. You can get a free trial and start building your online community right now. Just go to circle.so. You guys, you get the 14-day free trial. So just go and see if it's for you. It's going to streamline everything and make your life so much easier. It's so freaking cool. Want to know a huge secret to my success? Okay, not only my success, but just about every single person that I have interviewed on this podcast who is successful has this in common. You guys, they love to journal. They capture their life lessons and what they're grateful for. But a lot of people don't keep this up consistently. And most people do know that the research shows that journaling deepens your gratitude and increases self-awareness. But did you also know that journaling decreases stress and helps you achieve your goals faster? In fact, journaling is a huge differentiator between average performers at work and high-performing people. It leads to longer-term clarity, confidence, and success. So why don't more people journal? Why didn't I journal consistently? Honestly, they don't like staring at a blank page. It's hard to carry a book around with you or a notepad, and they just don't even know what to write about or they just forget. That's why I know that you're going to love Growth Day. It's the world's number one system for self-improvement, and it's like all-in-one personal development in an app. And it has an awesome digital journal, and people love it. Growth Day's digital journal has hundreds of research-backed writing prompts for self-reflection, positive mindset, confidence building, and success. I use them all the time, and it makes me think in ways that I typically don't, and it makes me ask myself better questions, which we all know gets better results in our lives. It even has prompts that help you develop a daily, weekly, or monthly habit of reflecting on your life and identifying areas to grow. So it's a perfect time of year to start journaling, you guys. When you sign up at Growth Day, you also get systems for habit tracking, goal setting, and scoring and improving every area of your life. Best of all, I get to teach there too, you guys. I'm so excited. I hope that I get to see you. I teach live in Growth Day every single month with a new topic just for you. So join me there. Start your free trial at growthdate.com slash Lori.